We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Give it to McCoy, bounces to the outside, and he will waltz untouched into the end zone. Buffalo, a touchdown on its opening drive of the afternoon. Intercepted on the far side of the field by Gilmore, and he will take it inside the five-yard line. Has it batted into the air off the hand, and then intercepted by Gilmore. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report podcast. I'm Drew Gear, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder. That's Chris Kruger, my producer. And uh, that was Tom Brenneman from Fox Sports with the call. Almost. It's Tom Brenneman, Fox Sports. You're just mad because he has to be an unbiased announcer for Fox. I understand unbiased. You know what I don't understand? is a guy who sounds like he's been taking Valium. During the entire game. And he bounces the run to the outside and it's a touchdown. I'm sorry. You know what? I'd rather watch. I've heard tennis announcers with more enthusiasm than Tom Brennerman. Okay. What national announcers are enthusiastic? And begin. Spiro Ditas and Ian Eagle. That's because you f- love Spiro Ditas. <laughs> Spiro! O- only because his name is Spiro Ditas. <gasps> oh, folks. I mean, those those clips, it, it's painful to try to rewatch that game. after the, after the Once you've watched it once, to try to watch it again, and to hear how little enthusiasm that th- those announcers have for their jobs. Chris, how long have they been in the NFL? Like, how long have they been calling NFL games? Tom Brenneman, I know, since 94. Okay, so maybe it's time someone takes him out back and puts him down like old Yeller. Because you know what? I, oh, if I got to listen to any more of that, I, it's going to put me to sleep. Well, you know that they're one of their, they're not one of their top three or four announced teams. Because it is Buffalo. I mean, what did we get against? What we, was it Miami? We had Tom McCarthy and Adam Archuleta. <laughs> and then the next week, they had no games. Again, what I loved is that for Adam Archuleta, they actually had like a segment for Archuleta. It was like Arches somethings. Arches something. Like he, had, he, like he was popular enough to have his own special segment. Like he was friggin' Randy Moss. And then all of a sudden, gone. Just gone. He, he doesn't get another they game. Didn't even get, they didn't get a game next the following uh, week. Because... It's Buffalo, Miami. No one cares to watch it. Uh, we're like the Rodney Dangerfields of the NFL. We just get no damn respect. 
and nobody should give us respect. It's been 16 years since we've been in the playoffs. Well, I'll say this, boys and girls. It felt good to get a win. I mean, it felt good to get that W because I'll be honest, it's been a few weeks since I, you know, <laughs> since I got a taste of that, you know? Oh, it was a, it was an ugly game, but I'll take it. As always, we're going to kick things off here with the Buffalo Bills news update. The injury bug once again just reared up and bit the Buffalo Bills right in the ass on Sunday, I, which kind of dampened some of the cheer that should be coming off of a win like this. I mean, first off, Robert Woods suffered a knee sprain. You know, it, it, it looked ugly. You know, for anyone who was at home and watched it, it looked like a gruesome, just his knee kind of twisted to the side, and he had three Bengals players piling on top of him. Including Vontez Burfecht. Duh. And just, you know, you felt sick when you saw him go down, and then they immediately cut to a commercial. But he got up and walked off the field under his own power, and after, you know, going through the MRI process, he, from what I can see, and what I've heard, and everything I've read, there's nothing torn. There's just a lot of swelling, and it's a sprain. He's definitely going to miss time. You know, it's it's just good to hear that it's not another season-ending injury to a vital member of our offensive. Or, not yet. <laughs> All I know is it sucks for Robert Woods because even though he wasn't 100% for probably the last three or four weeks, he's been playing some of the best football I've seen out of him maybe to the, as a wide receiver to this point in his career. I mean, it's it's hard to watch a guy who's playing that well go down, especially at a position that's already been decimated by injuries. It's going to be interesting to see what the team does going forward through these next couple games to try to address this growing hole in our roster at the wide receiver spot. And then you got Robert Blanton. Robert Blanton goes down in the second to last play of the game with a foot injury. In his Monday press conferences, Rex just came out and said he had he's doubtful that Blanton's going to be ready to play by this Sunday, which means it's probably a and foot injuries are tough. You know, as we're seeing with Sammy Watkins, you, know, you it's hard to gauge the severity of a foot injury because you're talking about so many small bones. There, there's a lot of ligaments and a lot of connective tissue down there, so it's hard to really know how long Blanton's going to be out for. But for sure, he's not going to play again this Sunday. Well, you don't like the way he played on Sunday to begin with. Well, no, but the fact is, is you're losing another body. You know what I mean? Now, all of a sudden, uh, who who do we bring in? Sergio Brown? Now he's probably going to get, he and Colt Anderson are probably going to have to start getting put in. I as, thought Colt Anderson was on IR. Did we put him on the IR? I swear. You I could have sworn. You know what? Now I that think I'm thinking he's about on it, IR. So who, now the question becomes, who do we have at safety? Duke Williams. No, we cut him. Damn it. <laughs> He's already forgotten it. Yeah, but the fact is, is that we are in a we're in a rough spot right now with our back end depth. And coming into a game like this, that could definitely come back to bite us in the ass. And then to top it all off, LaShawn McCoy suffered a dislocated thumb. Not even his whole thumb, just the tip of his thumb. In the third quarter of the game, uh, well, actually it was second quarter in the game on Sunday. He didn't return because the medical staff wasn't able to get his thumb put back into place. Now, he underwent a successful surgery on Monday, and by all accounts, he's ready to start practicing, and that they say that they're confident he'll be out there and playing on Sunday. I Listen, I think, considering how well Mike Gillesley ran this past weekend, I want to see him get more, weir- more work. You know, with Shady coming off of a... You can tell me that it's a harmless procedure and that he'll be ready to go. 
I'd still want to see Gillisley get a little bit more work. It's funny that you say that in the, what are we, in week 11? And versus what you were saying in training camp? Oh. Uh, James, James Wilder. Because I, I honestly think that James Wilder is like a more athletic Booby Dixon. I wanted him to make the roster because I thought he could bring a lot on passing downs and things of that nature. I didn't foresee Mike Gillisley taking the strides that he has as an NFL player. He really has. He's become a great complementary back. The thing that upsets me now is that we don't use enough of him. We don't call 35 often enough. I, th- I think he brings a dynamic to our game that LaShawn McCoy doesn't, which is that one cut downhill kind of power running style. Like a Carlos Williams? Kind of, I, I can't say like Carlos Williams because he was a much more explosive running back. But I'm okay, well, like a not fat Carlos Williams. <laughs> no, not like because Carlos Williams could also catch out of the backfield. At the end of the day, though, Gillies Lee is a good running back, and I think he deserves more work than he's getting. And I think at this opportunity, you know, this injury opens up an opportunity for him to get more of that playing time. And then in other news, Sammy Watkins. Okay, it's it's been the storyline for weeks. Everyone, you know, Sammy watch, Watkins watch, whatever you want to call it. He's ready to be activated. It's on the it's up to the coaching staff ultimately to decide whether or not he's ready to play. You know, he he has a CT scan scheduled on his foot to see how his recovery is going. And depending on the results of that, he could very well be ready to rejoin the team for practices this week and play this Sunday. By all accounts, they're being extremely cautious with the injury and Rex has stated openly in his press conferences that he wants to get Sammy back on the field as soon as possible. I mean, I can't imagine why our wide receivers are dropping like flies, but I, I don't think our medical staff at this point will put him out there unless they're 100% sure he's recovered. But then again, what the hell do I know about what our medical staff is going to do? Because pretty much is what I've ascertained from them is that they don't know what the hell they're doing. I don't trust them as far as I could throw them individually. I don't, I don't trust them at all. No. And I, if I still would keep Sammy on the sideline this week, we're playing two and eight Jacksonville, which we'll get into that later. But I would say if we win up until we play, we play, we play Pittsburgh next week, followed by Oakland. I would say Pittsburgh play him if we beat Jacksonville or even Oakland play him because we're going to need him in those two games if we want to make any kind of push to the playoff. And you're not wrong. Like you said. Never he, I wrong. Don't, I, oh, that's a, that's a lie. I don't want him back until he's ready to be back. I don't want him rushing because that's what we did in the offseason. We rushed him back because we knew how important he was to this offense. And he, what did he produce for us when he was here and we ended up just further aggravating an injury that he probably shouldn't. He probably shouldn't have ever been trying to play through. No, but now we're in the hunt, and now we need him. Oh, absolutely, we need him. But you don't want him too soon, or else you're going to waste it. Oh, a lot of a lot, a lot of injury injury news. I mean, that's what we have for you, folks. Just a lot of injuries. Again, it's been the storyline of the 2016 Buffalo Bills: the injury bug. But in some more positive news, we're going to recap the Week 11 game where we we beat the Cincinnati Bengals on the road. You know, a road victory. You can never look that you know that horse in the mouth. We have it. The W counts. I don't care if it was ugly or not. 
The fact is, is that we went into their house and we took that W. Yeah, I don't care that it took them missing two extra points and <laughs> their snapper getting hurt and AJ Green getting hurt and Gio Bernard getting knocked. I don't care what it took. The fact is a W is a W. We're going to start off the recap with the stats of the game. All you do is lean forward. Oh, you motherfuckers. Oh, lean forward and get that first down, you piece of shit. Well, we didn't get a first down there, obviously. How do we do on first downs elsewhere? Oh, it doesn't matter. We won the game. No, I'll tell you. You want to talk about first downs? That's the first stat in our stats of the game recap. First off, Buffalo Bills on third down. We were 3 of 12. I believe you yelled at Charles Clay on second and nine, which made it third and one. Oh, I was appalled. I'm sorry. You're Charles Clay. We're paying you all this money. You're not a small guy. So when you get the ball, the first down marker is right there in front of you. And instead of leaning forward to get it, you try to cut backwards as if you're going to get more, get to the sideline. You're an asshole. You're an asshole for making that move. Lean forward, get as many yards as you possibly can on every play, and secure the ball. That's your job. Instead, you're not. You're not gonna. You don't. Oh, you're not athletic enough to dance around defenders in the open field, Charles Clay. You're not. We got hit right at the sticks. Yeah, and the hit took him forward. But I think he had the muscle to just fall backwards and get that extra yard for the first down on. Second down, folks, you want the rest of that video on our Twitter account at Rockpiled Report. <laughs> so the fact is, Bills, third down, 3 of 12. Meanwhile, Cincy on third down went 8 for 15. Bills, time of possession, 32 minutes and 11 seconds. You know, fairly even split in time of possession with the Bengals. Tyrod Taylor, 19 attempts, 20, you know, 19 completions on 27 attempts, 166 yards, six yards, no touchdowns, one interception. Not a good day. The Bills rushing offense, though, 183 yards, one touchdown, 5.38 yards per carry. And Tyler Boyd, six catches for 54 yards and one touchdown. You yelled about that all afternoon. <laughs> Tyler Boyd, we couldn't cover him. Oh, my God, I was livid. How do we let some rookie with no A.J. Green? We should be able to lock these guys down. And instead, this rookie has a coming out party in the first half against our defense. It was embarrassing. You know, and I was furious about it. But ultimately, our defense did the things that they needed to do to lock it, lock it down, and get the W. So let's let's start digging through this a little bit and get into how they did it. First off, the first thing I'm going to talk about when recapping this game is the penalties. All right, Not, the Bills alone had nine penalties for 75 yards. Okay. I want to start with penalties. Because if I have to watch another first half of football like this again, I'm probably just going to eat the remote and die. All right, we hung in there and kept moving, not playing the scoreboard one play at a time, and that was different. All right, we don't need to put ourselves in such a hole with all those damn penalties now. All right, so we got to fix it and we got to move on. That's Rex Ryan's post game locker room speech from BuffaloBills.com. The fact is, 13 total penalties got called in the first half. Eight penalties in the first quarter. Eight penalties in 15 minutes of football. We gave up two first downs with those penalties. You know, there was a holding call on Darby. And then, just a week after I proclaimed that Jerry Hughes is the most improved player on our defense this year, and I give him MVP props, 
talking about how, oh, he's not taking stupid penalties anymore, and he's really becoming a force, you know, off the edge, even when he's being double teamed. And he just goes out there and but one of the most boneheaded personal fouls I've ever seen. You didn't hurt anybody. You weren't going to knock that guy over. You weren't going to intimidate him. And, and you get called for 15 yards and a first down on a drive that they eventually scored on. But missed the extra point. I mean, I, I was screaming, and anyone who was in the room with me can attest to this. I wanted Jerry Hughes benched. After that, after that penalty, I wanted his ass sat down on the sideline, put Shaq Lawson in there, roll Shaq Lawson out there, and let Jerry Hughes sit on the bench and get his head on straight. Because if you're going to play like that with no self-control, you're a liability. Okay, At that point, you stop helping your team and you become a liability. And a good coach has no problem yanking that guy out of the game. I was furious. I was furious at Jerry. I was furious at Rex. I was spitting profanity. I didn't throw a chair, but I, it crossed my mind. You did kick a chair over at the end of the game. That is true. One chair kicked, but no chairs thrown. And then after the first Gilmore pick, you know, a Tyrod Taylor rushing touchdown gets wiped off the board by a holding call by Richie Incognito. And it just brought me right back to that Giants game last season when we had back-to-back touchdowns pulled off the board because of calls, one of which was also against Richie Incognito in the red zone. We ended up having to settle for a field goal on that drive. And it just, it, those are the, mar- like, th- that's the thing. In football, you have to execute when you're in the red zone. You have to. And so to see the fact that we got down there and imploded, you know, you're talking about a game where we scored one touchdown and then just kicked field goals and our defense was good enough to win. You cannot have penalties in those critical red zone situations. You can't. They have to find a way to clean that up. I mean, the first half of the game was sloppy by both teams, you know, and they weren't the bills. I know I'm making it sound like the bills were the only ones that got flagged. They weren't. Okay. Both teams were sloppy. And all the flags just kind of sucked the energy right out of the game before it ever really got off the ground, I felt like. I mean, am I the only, Chris, am I the only one who felt like that? No. I mean, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that stuff. I pay attention to setting my tripod up and getting you on video yelling about <laughs> stupid things. <laughs> God. All I know is the Bills have been managing to stay relatively penalty or critical penalty free over the last few games. So hopefully that, you know, the this one game is an outlier. And hopefully going forward, they can find a way to clean that up. One of the other things I want to talk about when I'm looking at the recap, I watch the film, I go over everything. I have question marks about the play calling and some of the execution here. Okay, And I hate to start off with the negative because it was a win, but we got to get this out of the way. Do you question uh, Aylin's play calling almost every almost week? Almost every week. Okay. Getting too cute, as you like to call it. You have no Woods in for most of the game, no Sammy Watkins, and no LaShawn McCoy. I don't know. Anthony Lynn, I don't know what you're calling some of the time. I mean, I, I, I give him credit for finding a way to keep our offense on the field long enough to get this win. Okay, And it's not all Lynn's fault because Tyrod Taylor missed a number of wide-open receivers. I mean, baby hands O'Leary was open probably two or three times where, yeah, he's not wide open. But that's an NFL throw that you should be able to make as a quarterback in this league. Tyrod has a huge, he's got a huge problem not being able to throw people open. No, no, he can't. He's a, 
I've said this a number of times. Tyrod Taylor is a see it then throw it kind of quarterback. And so to the one of the frustrations is when you see that and you see a play where, okay, O'Leary is breaking open. He's going to be open in about three steps. And if you just put it out in front of him and let him run to the ball, it's going to be a completion for 15, 16 yards. And instead, he decides to run with it or he decides to check it down to a running back. You have to be able to make those throws in order to win consistently at the NFL level. And I'm just not seeing it. And then at the same time, why wasn't Justin Hunter involved at all in our offensive game plan for this week? Especially after Robert Woods went down. Okay, You have a wide receiver who's got an NFL frame. I get it. He hasn't been here that long. And we haven't really utilized him since we picked him up off waivers. I don't know if that's an indication that he doesn't know the playbook. He, I don't know if that's... He's a, two touchdowns. He has two touchdowns. He's got two touchdowns and uh, a cartwheel for you. And like five catches, though. Yeah. He's not he's not being used consistently, and I feel like that's... Cons- especially in the red zone. Especially in the red zone, and especially when you've got a guy missing from your lineup like Robert Woods. Get Justin Hunter out there. Let's... Let's see what the kid has. You have to start. It's, just, it's, it's almost like they want they moved away from Hunter because, okay, Woods is out. Well, why don't we just get Percy Harvin involved? And then and, the other bitch that I have out of all this is that, and this is the last one, I swear. Let, everyone out here is listening to this and just thinks I'm some bitter fucking crank. You're right. I am. But I'm, I'm done now. Right after this. We only attempted two passes of more than 20 yards, and we missed them both. You've got Percy Harvin, you've got Justin Hunter, you've got you've got Marquise Goodwin. You have speed receivers, and you don't try to throw the ball deep at all in order to loosen up the defenders in the box to maybe open up Charles Clay for something. Maybe open up some running lanes. I don't know. You don't even try. That's the thing. If you tried six deep passes and you didn't connect on any of them, okay. All right, I'll give that to you. But when you try two and you don't get any, that's your fault because you didn't keep trying. There may have been plays to make there, and you just didn't do it. Again, it goes to Tyrod throwing people open. Ugh. All right, folks. Now we're going to switch gears here. To positive thoughts. <laughs> Excuse me while I sip this beer. All right, I'm calm. I'm calm. Woo! Let's start off with Ryan Groy. First off, Ryan Groy stepped in this week for his first start of the season in place of the injured Eric Wood, and I didn't. There, there was honestly probably like a good thirty-minute span of the game where I forgot that Ryan Groy was playing for us. He didn't look out of place at all, and I, that that's huge for us, considering how important our running game is. I mean, I think two of Mike Gillisley's biggest runs came when running behind center. You know, he was two for 20 when running behind Ryan Groy for uh, 10 yards per carry average. Hopefully that's a, that, and when you're not talking about some slouches there, it's defensive tackles for the Bengals. I mean, Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins is a great defensive tackle in this league. So the fact that he was able to get things done in between the tackles on, on offense and find rushing space. That in and of itself bodes well for him coming into the, you know, because coming up, it's not going to get any easier. You know, we're going up against a very tough defensive line in the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're going up against teams like the Raiders. We're going up against Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh. Like t- Cleveland. Oh, wait. <laughs> the wait. fact is, is that it's, 
Jets and Dolphins. It's incur- Yeah, you've got the Jets, you've got the Dolphins. Two teams with great nose tackles. But again, the Browns. It's good to see that he can hold his own against a guy like Geno Atkins consistently throughout the course of an entire game. I was really encouraged by that. So kudos to you, Ryan Groy. How about the return of Marcel Darius? Okay, everyone and their mother on the radio on WGR, they've been blowing Kyle Williams for days. And I get it. I love Kyle Williams just as much as the next guy. I don't ever want to try to diminish what that guy brings to the table for us. But, I mean, can I, can I, he deserves the praise he's getting. I mean, there was, there was multiple plays where he just blew Clint Bowling's doors off. You know, over at cover1.net, he put up some posts, he put up some clips today of gameplay of Kyle Williams just shredding Clint Bowling in their center. In whether it's pass coverage, whether it's the running game, he was consistently forcing linemen into the backfield or just beating them clean off the snap. Well, having Darius back has to help him get one-on-one coverage. Exactly. No man is an island. Nobody can do it on their own unless you're J.J. Watt. Okay. Kyle Williams, yes, he had a very good day. And I, like I said, I don't want to take anything away from that. But I think having Marcel Darius in and healthy and play, Darius had a stuff at the goal line. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Mr. Big Stuff. Mr. Big Stuff. They tried to run straight up the gut. And Marcel Darius drove the center into the backfield and got that guy for a tackle for a loss. Just because they when you have guys like Kai Williams and Marcel Darius, they're going to feed off each other. And so the problem is you have to pick your poison. And this week, they decided to try to neutralize Marcel Darius, and you saw Kyle Williams just exploding off the ball on defense. It, it's, it's incredible to see at his age that he still has that high level of play to him. But I just don't want people to forget that, yeah, Kyle had a great day, but Marcel Darius had half a sack. He had two tackles for a loss, and he was a lot of the time being doubled, which created one-on-one matchups for everyone else on the D-line. Then we get into running back depth. All right. I know earlier I was talking about, I was kind of, you know, talking up Mike Gillisley. Well, it's for good reason. Sean McCoy is clearly the number one running back on our roster. Okay. I'm not, I, there's no question about that. But when he went down, our rushing attack didn't miss a beat. I mean, Gillisley had 72 yards for a 5.1 yards per carry average. Okay. What did James Wilder Jr. do? <sighs> I hate you. So Mike Gillisley had a 10-yard run, and that's the thing. He had some impressive, like, everyone likes to talk about, oh, well, without LaShawn McCoy, you know, we're not going to have that big playability. You don't know that. I mean, they call him Touchdown Mike. Last season, he cracked off a number of plays for 40, 50, 60-yard touchdowns. In, in Sunday's game, the two plays that impressed me the most, okay, they had us, the, the, the Bengals had us pinned in on our one-yard line. Okay, third quarter, things are looking kind of bleak at that point. You're like, listen, we're playing this field position game. I don't know that we're going to be able to hang on and keep going back and forth like this. And on the very first play, Gillisley just explodes behind Roy, Ryan Groy, explodes up the middle of the defense for a 10-yard carry, gets us out to the 10-yard line. That in the 11-yard, that in and of itself was huge because it's it saved that drive because then a couple first downs later when we punted, we weren't backed up into our own end. You know? I was impressed with the one play that Reggie Bush put in for us. Yeah. It was like, and it's we used him how we should be out in the slot. And he took like basically like a slot screen, 
and he had to take it like 15, 20 yards. And that, oh, was, yeah. that was his only use of the day. Well, but the fact is, but and he, again, made see, it, he but, made his opportunity. And again, I think that there is, it comes down to one of two things for me. Either they just don't know how to use Reggie Bush, and so they only put him in for two plays a game, or they've got things in mind for him, and they're just saving him at this point. Especially with all the wide receiver injuries. Saving him for what? With all of these wide receiver injuries, we could use a guy who knows how to get his hands in the ball in space and just create his own plays, which is exactly what Reggie Bush did on that long pass play. He made that play by himself. He made a couple cuts, he made a guy miss, and then he hit the open. He took it back across the field and followed his blockers, which is what he's done his entire career. We need to learn how to use him in that capacity, especially coming into a game like this where we're shorthanded on wide receiver. And so then, you know, even look at Jonathan Williams. He only got four touches, but he got 26 yards. That's a 6.5 yards per carry average. He was reliable whenever Gillisley had to come off the field. He never got tackled for a loss. And he kept Gillisley fresh. You know, he could come out there for two running plays, run the ball, Gillisley would come back. He'd come out, he'd run the ball for a play, They'd, they'd drag it out, they'd throw a pass play, then they'd bring Gillisley back on. I think that those two working in tandem looked good together. You know, and, and I, again, this is the thing that I've been harping on. I mean, you're right, you're not going to get as many huge dynamic runs with Gillisley and with Williams and with Bush and trying to work all the, you know, work our entire running back depth chart into the game plan. But I feel like our team would be better served at this point in the season trying to hammer away at teams with guys like Williams and Gillisley. And then late when their defense is tired, that's when you go out there and you hit him with a LaShawn McCoy. You know, I honestly feel like keeping him fresh for the end of games can be how we close these things out with victories. Yeah, we've always played to the level of our opponent as what you saw on Sunday. Well, it's not been, gonna, it's been going like that for years. Yeah, but for me, it's not even about that. I, I think back to the Monday night football game. In the fourth quarter, LaShawn McCoy just looked tired. Like, he just looked like a tired running back. And in my mind, I'm wondering, why the hell have we not been rotating our running backs? Because this is it. You're dealing with a tired defense that's been on the field for a lot of the game. Why have we not worn them down with our other running backs enough that our home run threat can go out there and hit a home run? Why wouldn't you want that? I don't know. It drives me crazy, and hopefully it's something that they're going to address soon. And then... It brings us to the biggest part of the entire game, okay, the, the, the crux of this entire victory, the secondary resurgence. Now, maybe it helps that we didn't have to cover A.J. Green. I mean, that injury just, you could tell it just crushed whatever game plan the Bengals came into this game with. You could tell because they were trying to, even though they hit Tyler Boyd a lot early, as soon as we took away Tyler Boyd in that second half, they couldn't find a rhythm. I don't, I don't think it. they got a first down in the or Dalton didn't complete a pass in the third quarter. Yeah, I heard that statistic. Dalton did not complete a pass in the third quarter. So losing AJ Green was obviously huge to their game plan, and it also doomed multiple fantasy teams that I own. Nobody cares about your <laughs> stupid fantasy teams. But our secondary came out this week after being called out by the coaching staff, after having guys' jobs threatened, and they played ball. I mean, they played winning football. It wasn't perfect, but they found a way in that second half to make enough plays to win, which hasn't been the story of our last few weeks. Our last few weeks, we've been in games and then found a way to lose it. That wasn't the case on Sunday. 
I mean, it starts with Graham. Graham allowed one catch for zero yards, and he was solid all day in coverage and rush support. He earned Pro Football Focus's highest grade on our entire team for the day. I mean, they gave him the game ball out of there because he was the highest rated player on either team across the board. Then you're talking about Ron Darby. Two catches for only 15 yards allowed. Andy Dalton's QBR when throwing at Darby was 59.4, which is one of the lower marks out of the weekend for any corner quarterback versus a cornerback. That's a week after he got benched for being just ineffective, for getting beat while he was deep. You know, just it, it's maybe that's what he needed. Maybe Rex needed to challenge these guys. You know, he had to put it on him and make them wake up and realize, hey, this isn't handed to you. Hey, you're not a starter unless you earn that starter. You have to earn it. And if you're not playing like you're going to earn it, I'll sit you. That's, I mean, that's what Rex said last week. There's going to be open competition, and there was open competition in the nickel. No, open competition in the nickel, but then during practice, they were working in Corey White with the ones a lot. And you saw Darby, Darby got the start on Sunday, and you saw him respond. Because I think, especially for young players, especially good young players, you know, when, when Ron Darby was at Florida State, do you think anyone was threatening to take his job? No, because no. it's Florida State. Yeah. And plus, nobody threw at him. No, no one threw at him because his coverage grades were incredible. So now he hits the NFL. He has a good season. He rolls into his second year thinking, hey, you know what? I've got this job locked up. And then he struggles. And he struggles and he struggles and he struggles. And finally, someone comes to him and says, you know what? Maybe you'll have to sit. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. He probably hasn't had to sit since high school. Or have anybody question him oh, yeah. and his or, ability and say, hey, look, you're going to, you could be sat for somebody else. Yeah, the fact and then is, it went and then it went right to his head. I got to play better. <laughs> oh, absolutely. showed up. I mean, I, I give Rex a lot of props for getting that performance out of Ron Darby. I mean, and that's absolutely what I think it comes down to is you just question the kid. Hey, what do you have in you? How dig, How deep are you willing to dig in order to be good in this league? And then you just, you know, you were just talking about the competition. Uh, Seymour and Nikel Roby. Kevon Seymour and Nikel Roby in the, in the nickel. The first time this season, Kevon Seymour outsnapped Nikel Roby. He had 40, 40 defensive plays to Nikel Roby's 15 plays. Rex Ryan was quoted on Monday during his press conference as saying that the playing time between those two players going forward is going to be dependent on the matchup for a given week. And who he feels best matches up with our opponent's strengths. I mean, it's a no-brainer, though. You can't argue with what they put out there on the field, and you can't argue with the strategy, considering how badly big physical tight ends beat us up when we put Nikel Roby in the slot trying to cover them. When we wrote with Seymour out there playing the majority of the snaps, Tyler Eifert only got three catches for 37 yards and no touchdowns. I mean, and, we came into this game afraid that he was going to eat us alive. Yeah, you figured, especially after AJ Green goes down, you figured that that's oh, going to be. Oh, I figured and, they were going to feed him. Yeah. But you know what? I watched the tape. He wasn't open. Seymour was in his pocket most of the game. Or we rolled combo coverages to him where it would be a linebacker trailing him to hand him off. Like you saw the play, the one big catch that he did have to set up a field goal. He got popped by Gilmore at the end of that play. And it came up a little groggy, but. The fact is, is that's the only time when he got on the edge of our defense. When they tried utilizing Tyler Eifert against the middle of our defense, 
we had him locked up. You know, they used a lot of combo coverages between a linebacker passing him off to a safety or a linebacker and a cornerback kind of, you know, following and one guy trailing him. He just couldn't find any room to operate. And that bodes well considering, you know, we play in a division with teams who like to, you know, they, they like to use the tight end, especially the New England Patriots. Because they have two of them. Yeah, so to know that we have linebackers and cornerbacks who can cover that kind of thing if you're, they're utilized properly, it bodes well for future matchups. And then <laughs> we're going to spend some time here talking about a guy that I have been just riding for weeks, Stephon Gilmore, okay? His day was kind of Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, he was re- he personally was responsible for five catches, 63 yards, and a touchdown. But almost all of that came in the first half. I mean, I know I personally had some profanity just, just hurled around the basement about Stephon Gilmore and just watching our D get worked in the passing game on those first few drives, you know, kind of into the second quarter. But at the end of the day, the guy finished with two interceptions in the first quarter that absolutely helped the Bills maintain momentum because our defense was looking porous at that point. Our defense as a whole wasn't playing well. And he found a way to make two plays that were just clutch. I mean, you heard both of the interceptions. I mean, here's Gilmore in his post-game press conference talking about that. I just knew from film study they um, they run four verts with um, comebacks on the outside, and I trusted my film study. I can tell you he wasn't taking me deep just off how he was coming off the ball, and I was just being aggressive on that play. Being aggressive. Okay, did you hear that, everybody? Being aggressive. Post-game interview, buffalobills.com. That is something I've been saying all season. Gilmore has been struggling because he hasn't been aggressive. He hasn't been attacking wide receivers off the line. He hasn't been attacking the ball in the air. He's been playing very, very passive football. This week, he came out and just, he played. He played the way I expect a Stephon Gilmore to play. And, I mean, it showed. He only allowed a pair of catches for the entire second half. And on the day, only gave up four yards after the catch. I mean, it's it was just the whole defense seemed to tighten up in the you know in the second half, which kind of you know helped the effort. But it, it was those two first quarter interceptions by Stephon Gilmore that kept the Bengals off the board, so that we didn't go into the second half down into a hole. And that's why Stephon Gilmore is my hero of the week. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. I mean, come on. You guys had to know that was going to happen. Anybody who watched the game, you'd be oh, you'd be slow if you didn't think I'd give him some props after just dogging him for weeks. I mean, yeah, he gave up an easy touchdown to a rookie wide receiver that I cussed him out for. And no, he wasn't perfect. But he came up with a pair of picks that the first pick, you know, you've got the first pick that puts us in scoring position that ultimately nets us a field goal. Inside the f- that's what that's what that hurt. Inside the five and we get a field goal. Hey, he got that pick that puts us inside there for a field goal in a game that we only won by a handful of points. Because we didn't miss any extra points. And then late in the second quarter, he gets another pick as the as the Bengals are driving down the field. He gets another interception that could have been points on the board. Could have been points on the board against us. The fact is, is and then we came out, they went into the locker room and circled the wagons and came out and did what they did on offense in the second half, which was just completely shut the passing game down. But I think without 
Stephon Gilmore's two plays there, you don't see that type of a rebound. Or we go into the locker room in a hole, and who's to say we ever get out of it? The fact is, he is the hero of the week. And that brings me, as always, to our zero of the week, which goes to a guy who I haven't mentioned at all this entire podcast for good reason. Marquise Goodwin. You blew it! You mentioned him once before. God, I wish I hadn't. I really wish I hadn't because I got nothing good to say about the guy. I mean, I want to make it clear. I'm not blaming Marquise Goodwin for the interception that Tyrod Taylor threw. I know a lot of people have been hot on that between Twitter, between the radio, social media. I don't give a shit about any of that. I think that it was a poorly thrown ball and just a bad decision to try to hit him when he's got that defender behind him like that. It was an underthrown ball. It was a bad call on Tyrod Taylor's part. It's not why I'm dogging Marquise Goodwin. The fact is, is that he was wholly and completely irrelevant for the majority of the game. And you're talking about a game where you're, you know, you're number two, but your de facto number one wide receiver goes down with a knee injury. You need someone to step up and try to pick up the slack. See, I don't like that you didn't even mention on the INT that he didn't even make a play on the ball. Nope. I'm, I'm willing to forgive him for that. What I cannot forgive him for is not finding a way to get open at all in that second half. He was a ghost. He was a ghost. I thought at first, maybe, you know, when I was watching the game and immediately afterwards in my drunken rage, I thought that maybe Tyrod Taylor just wasn't, you know, wasn't hitting him. Kind of like O'Leary. You know, O'Leary didn't record a single catch, but he was open a number of times. But after watching the tape, Marquise Goodwin just, he's not getting open. He's not working himself open. He, it's. Maybe he just doesn't have it as an NFL wide receiver, or maybe this just isn't the offense for him. But either way, I'm just completely disgusted by the performance he put out there. So that brings us to our next segment, as always, the AFC East Roundup. Now, every week, every other team in in our division, they're doing something. We try to keep tabs on it. I mean, the Jets, they had a bye week this week, and I'm honestly not sure who's more fortunate. Me? For not having to talk about them. Or their fans for not having to watch them. Oh, hey, oh. Can we agree that they may, they're far and away the worst thing in the AFC East? And maybe even the entire country? Uh, you're the worst thing that ever happened in America. You're seriously, it goes you, slavery, and then Pearl Harbor 9-11 combined. The Jets are currently sitting at 3-7. 3-7. and seven. Three and seven. They get to pick up this week, hopefully, where they left off last week, which will hopefully, you know, probably entail just being inept on offense and only scoring six points when they host the Patriots. Let's not, let's In the not, let's not forget to mention that game moved out of 8.30 Sunday night football. <laughs> yeah, they were the first game of the season to get flexed out of primetime. I, I can't imagine why. I can't imagine why. <laughs> Probably because Denver-Kansas City is a way better matchup. I'd rather watch the Browns play themselves than watch the New England Patriots play the Jets. Oh, Speaking of the Patriots, this week they went on the road to play the 49ers. And for all intents and purposes, I think the, I'll, I'll say this. I thought that the 49ers kept that game close enough that by the end of it, I was flipping back and forth just to keep tabs in the score because I wanted to see if they could really... Hang with them. They did because they covered the spread. Yeah, they, they covered the spread. I mean, it was it was a. I think it was either eleven and a half or fourteen, somewhere in there. 
and they covered. I mean, the fact is, is I was paying attention to that game just because I was shocked that the 49ers were doing so well within the game. Now, obviously, I'm not, you know, the Patriots won, and I'm not going to go pick through the wreckage of that car accident to try to drum up any uh, you know, statistics for you. But the Patriots are now at 8-2, and two, tied with the Oakland Raiders at the top of the AFC. Here's something I want to throw out to you guys. I want to float an idea past you all out there who are listening, and I want to see if you're all on board with me. Is it that Derek Carr is elite? He's not elite. That guy sucks. He doesn't suck. That's hype. Okay. I'm, he, he, oh, my God. Everyone over here is giving me bug eyes. He's so, elite. He's not elite. He's, he's playing very well behind a very good offensive line. Blah, 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 he's blah, got blah. Great, he's got great receivers and great receiving running. He's got a ton of talent around him. I'm not going to say he is so better. You're, so you're telling me the Oakland receivers make Derek Carr better? I'll say this. I'll say this. You're wrong. I'll say this. Derek Carr makes Crabtree relevant. If you traded Derek Carr to the Jacksonville Jaguars, they still have a mediocre record. No. Oh, okay. No, you're full of shit. Okay. Well, folks. We'll talk about that in two weeks. For as much as everyone here wants to hate on the Raiders, because you know, obviously I hate the Raiders, um, here's what I'd like to suggest to the rest of you. We should all strongly consider rooting for the Raiders on a weekly basis. And here's the reason why. As we saw last year, well, not last year, the year before last, Doug Marone's final game here in Buffalo. The, the New England Patriots, once they get home field advantage locked up, and if they don't feel like there's anything left to play for, they've proven that they have no, they have no qualms against sitting all of their starters for an entire game and giving away a win if the game doesn't mean anything. This year... The New England Patriots end their season against Miami, a team that is one win ahead of us now, in not only in the conference, but also in the division. Well, okay, hold on. What's, the last couple of years, I'm pretty sure Miami and New England have like split, or they tend to split all the time. Am, am I wrong? No, they do split. I mean, I don't see it coming this year. But here's my point. We should be rooting for the Raiders. Simply because, follow me here, if the Raiders continue to keep pace with the Patriots, the Patriots are going to have to keep playing up until the last game because they're going to try to get that number one overall seed. Because, okay. because history has proven when the Patriots do not have the one seed throughout the entire AFC, they go to, they go to places like Denver and lose games that they probably shouldn't. Okay, I got it. So Oakland keeps winning. They get the one seed, and then New England goes to Oakland for the AFC Championship game. It snows in Oakland. There's a tuck <laughs> rule. Vinatieri misses a kick. No, Oakland goes to the Super what Bowl. What I'm saying is that because Derek Carr is elite. What I'm saying is that if the, if Oakland continues to win, it's going to force the New England Patriots to play their best football through the last few weeks of the season. I was close. Which means that they won't be giving away a crucial game. Like, if we're ever going to... We have to make up games on the on the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, our game against them is going to be huge for that. But we need the New England Patriots to go into that Week 17 game needing, needing something. Because then that means that they're going to play for blood. And they're going to want to win that football game, which is what we're going to need in order to get over the Miami Dolphins. Plus, uh, let's not forget, two weeks... December 4th, we play at Oakland. 
Yep. And let's not forget that podcast on the 6th. We're going to be coming to you live from the Microtel in Florence, Kentucky. <laughs> and speaking of Miami, okay, we're going to segue right from one topic to the next. Those dirtbags found a way to weasel out a win against uh, the, the, I mean, an improbable win in a game that they absolutely should have lost against the L.A. Rams. We, the yeah, we, watched, we, we had that game up Sunday at your place. Four minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they're it's, losing 10 to nothing to the L.A. friggin' Rams. And then all of a sudden, they throw they, to Ryan Tannehill. It's like, I don't know, it's almost like Popeye. It's like he went to the sideline, he ate some spinach, and he came out and realized he was an NFL quarterback and led two touchdown drives to end the game. I mean, what an asshole! What an asshole! But he gets an asshole award, and so does and so does Jeff Fisher. Does Jeff Fisher, who gets one step closer, folks, one step closer to seizing the all-time losses record for any coach in the NFL, active or inactive. He'll do it this season. I think he's four away. Oh, I think no, no. After yesterday, he's three. He is now three losses. Jeff Fisher from tying. Jeff Fisher can have the lead by Christmas. Cool, if, let's if, do it. If Jeff Fisher continues losing, continues to lose football games this season, he will become, before the season is over, the most losingest coach in the history of the NFL. Let that sink in for a second. That's the asshole who beat us with the home run throwback. I can't, I can't think of anybody else who deserves it more than that jerk-off. <laughs> oh, the Miami Dolphins on the other hand. I mean, I got to give them some credit. You know, they they got a they got a W. They yeah. did. They found a way to dig out a W. Parker got me a touchdown so I could tie with freaking Kyle Smith of the AFC East Bros in our fantasy league. I mean, all I know is that the fact that their team was down ten nothing to the LA Rams speaks to the fact that for as well as they played, they're far from a perfect football team. But. Luckily for them, they're going to play host to the 49ers who hit this week, who have not fared well against the AFC East this season. I mean, I think they've lost. They haven't fared well against anyone. <laughs> That's true. Including Alabama. But but I'll say this. The the back end of Miami's schedule gets a little bit difficult, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they, they're going to need this win going into the back stretch of their, their schedule. Where where are we today? We're 5-5. Five and five, Okay, We're 10th place in the AFC. And we're going into a matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And St. Doug! <laughs> Doug is returning to Buffalo. That brings us to our Week 12 preview. Bills against the Jaguars. Game time, 1 p.m. at New Era Field. The early, early, early weather report says that it's going to be partly cloudy, 45 degrees and mild wind. And the betting line right now is the Bills minus 7. I'll put money on the Jaguars. We are a touchdown favorite. Money on the Jags. You're going to put money on the Jaguars? You to cover seven? Yeah. <laughs> what did I say earlier? We we play to the level of our opponent. So you really don't think that the Bills can cover that spread? No, because we, we're going to play on the level of a 2-8 and eight Jaguars team. Do you, you see, Everybody sees it every week. Don't Don't question me on this. You know that we play to the level of our opponent. We can get hyped up and play New England close and lose, and then we can play Jacksonville on their level and win by four. 
Yeah, well. So mark it, mark that when we do our predictions later. Oh. It's going to be four points. Okay. Well, first, let's put this out here. The Jacksonville Jaguars are not a good football team. Okay. Considering their two and eight record, I'm shocked that Doug Marone hasn't already been put in as the head coach of the team. I mean, I would have assumed Gus, and I, you know what? A part of me has been thinking, I've been talking about this for weeks now with other people from other fan bases. I felt like there was a conspiracy taking place when Nate Hackett got promoted to offensive coordinator because he was the offensive coordinator of choice for Doug Marone. So in my head, I thought to myself, so Doug Marone's hand-chosen offensive coordinator is now OC in Jacksonville. He's the assistant head coach, and he's just waiting. I said it before, and I'll say it again. I think Doug Marone took that job because he knew that Gus Bradley had a chance of getting fired and that he kind of felt like he could slide right into that role and become a head coach in the NFL again. Gus Bradley should be fired at the end of the year, and I'm going to tell you to look at the Eagles model because they have Carson Wentz, rookie. They have Chase Daniel, who has been under Andy Reid as a backup quarterback. For most of his career, Doug Peterson, the head coach, backup quarterback under Andy Reid's system when he played. And then as a coach, Doug Peterson coached under Andy Reid. And then you also have Frank Reich as the OC in Philadelphia. So you have a quarterback that played in the system. You have a head coach that played in the system and is now coaching it. And then your offensive coordinator is a former quarterback in the National Football League. That's what Blake Bortles needs Next year, when they get a new coach, get an offensive guy in that knows passing that can up his level of play as a quarterback. Well, unfortunately, I I don't see a way Gus Bradley makes it out of the season alive. But my biggest fear was going to be that Doug Marone would be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars by the time that they made it here to Buffalo. But we're here. Gus Bradley's still around. And their team is hot. They're, They're hot garbage. Okay. Now. Bills fans might think I'm just trying to endear, you know, I'm just trying to endear myself to them by trashing our opponent. Why don't we hear it straight from the horse's mouth with, we've got some audio from the chop, uh, what is it, the Keep Chopping Wood podcast from SB Nation. They, they, they're basically affiliated with BigCatCountry.com, which is the Jacksonville Jaguars SB Nation website. I mean, this just gets old telling you guys over and over again, like what a pathetic loss and overall just what a pathetic excuse for a showing by this team. I don't think they go on the road and beat Buffalo. Like Buffalo has like, has games where they they look kind of bad, but they're just also a better team. And their defense is really good too. So, I mean, I don't know how this team would point points against them. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the Jacksonville Jaguars SB Nation podcasters talking about their team. Okay, those are their guys. That's how I talk about our team. And then the the author of their podcast, Ryan, finishes with this finishes our his article that accompanies the podcast with this quote: "Bet the Bills plus seven and spend that money on beers to celebrate the fact that there are only five more games left in this season." Nope. Put that on the Jags. <laughs> oh, 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 Bills fans. Bills fans. Oh. No. Bills fans know that we play to the level of our opponent. Well, let's, We've done it for years. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about our, about our opponent and try to see where they fall along this line of you know what we can expect on Sunday. Yeah, before we can ex- what we can expect on Sunday. How about this? We'll just do it here. 
You still owe me a Seagram's, by the way. So Seagram's at Jacksonville covers seven. Got it? I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you over me uh, drinking beer. Jacksonville covers seven. <sighs> we have Reed's at the table. Reed, you witness his handshake. Done. Seven. Done. I will take your seven. So for those of you who just heard that, Chris and I just bet I think the Bills will cover the spread. No, Jacksonville will, will cover seven. Oh, you're an idiot. I think Bills will win, but it'll be by less than seven. Well, let's get right into the, uh, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about our upcoming opponent. It starts with the offensive scouting report, and there's nowhere else. This is where most of my uh, film review, this is where most of my statistical review revolved around this week. Because I couldn't wrap my head around it. What the fuck is going on with Blake Bortles? I can tell you. Defensive head coach and a shit offensive coordinator. And then Doug Marone, even though he's involved with the <laughs> offensive line. Doug Marone, Doug Marone is always a problem. Okay. Well, let me ask the question. What the hell happened to Blake Bortles? Okay. In their third seasons, a lot of people had a pair of young quarterbacks, Blake Bortles and Derek Carr. Okay. They pegged them both as players that were ready to take that next step and really become game-changing players in the NFL. We've seen it from Derek Carr because he's elite. Well, and in August, a lot of people were talking about the fact that the Jags could be dark horses to win their division. I be- you know what? I believe Nate Geary of WGR, if he still has it pinned to his Twitter account, he said Jacksonville wins the division at eleven and five. I mean, I think I did that. I think I said something similar to that too. Well, everyone did because you took a look at what you took a look at what Blake Bortles accomplished last season, and then you take a look at what they brought in on the defensive side of the ball, and you say to yourself, okay, so a team that threw thirty five touchdowns last year is going to get better on the other side of the ball. How can they not compete for the division? Oh, man. Fast forward a few months, and it's clear no one was banking on this offense declining to the degree that it has. I mean, let's take a look at this. 2015, Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns both had more than 1,000 yards receiving. Robinson had 14 touchdowns. Hearns had 10. When you combine that with Julius Thomas, they accounted for 29 of the team's 33 passing touchdowns. Those three players alone. They had monster years last year. Bortles finished the season with 18 interceptions and a 58% completion percentage. Fast forward to 2016. Those same three players at this point, week 11, you know, going into week 12, only account for 12 total touchdowns. You're talking about three guys who had 29 touchdowns the previous season. 17 touchdowns. Think about, it's, how many points is that, Chris? I can't even do math. I've been drinking beer. The fact is, is that's the difference between wins and losses right there. And Bortles already has 13 picks. He finished with only five more than that. And worse... He now has back-to-back games throwing a pick six. I mean, how does someone fall off a cliff like that? Easy. I'll give you two words. You ready? Yep. Nate Hackett. (laughs) Oh, you're blaming the... He just got installed as the offensive coordinator. Shut up. I'll blame whoever I want. (laughs) (laughs) And and if you follow anything that the Jaguars put out there, you go to BigCatCountry.com. 
you'll see a lot of articles talking about how Nate Hackett is slowly turning their offense around. But even that slow turnaround can't help these guys. I mean, maybe you could point injuries on the offensive line. I mean, they've had them. They lost their left tackle, Luke Jokel, former number one overall, uh, number two overall pick. Uh, the center, Luke Buonco, he was on the pup list to start the season, and he's now on IR, so he never even got to play. And then they lost Patrick Amami in this last game. Now he's on the IR. He was their starting guard. They're not healthy up front. And it's having just a degenerative effect on the passing from Bortles. You want a couple more statistics? I'll throw them at you. This is how badly Bortles has struggled this season. On passes of more than 20 yards in the last three games, he's 9 of 27, 122 yards and no touchdowns. He's only connecting on 33% of passes that go more than 20 yards. I mean, I, I, I'll say this as a fan of a team that doesn't take a whole lot of deep shots. It's bad. It's bad that you're missing. You're taking that many shots and you're not hitting any of them. I'm, I'm telling you, it's coaching. It's straight up coaching. You have a defensive head coach and a shit offensive coordinator. Well, to your point, you're talking about coaching there. The Jaguars are 31st in the NFL in yards per pass with only 6.32. Now, one of the things, one of the big bitches I've heard from Jaguars fans, just kind of watching their message boards and kind of interacting with them online, is that they don't, they're constantly trying to throw short slant routes. And they're always trying to look for these dink and dunk pass plays instead of trying to throw deep. And then when they do throw deep, they just don't connect on enough of them. Okay, so Nate Hackett runs a dink and dunk. Well, one of the biggest, and I'll say this, one of the biggest things that I've heard is Julius Thomas. Julius Thomas, when he was with the Broncos, he was a force. And that was when that was when Peyton Manning was at the end of his rope. He had he he wasn't the Peyton Manning that was making guys, you know, like um who did he have? Austin Collie and all of these other no name tight ends. Jacob, like Tammy. Jacob Tammy. He wasn't it wasn't Dallas Clark. Dallas Clark was not a great tight end. Peyton Manning made him look good. He so wasn't that, great at anything. Even his name isn't great. <laughs> hey, whoa, you back off Dallas. It's my middle name. <laughs> that's oh, Jesus. right. Now that's, that's out right. there on the podcast. All right, that's right. Guys, Drew's middle name is Dallas because that's where he was conceived. My parents have refuted that claim. <laughs> but so, no, but in all honesty, Julius Thomas was a dynamic receiving threat from the tight end position. He signed that free agent contract with Jacksonville, and they have never used him on passes up the seam. He's a big, fast tight end that you could use to... I mean, there's no linebacker that can out-jump him to high point of football. There isn't. And safeties might be able to carry with him. There is. But who? Paul Puznozny, but he plays for the Jaguars. So. <laughs> You're an idiot. Paul Puznozny might be one of the worst linebackers in football. The fact is, is that... You've got this tight end whose talent is being wasted. He, they, they, the one bitch that I kept seeing on these message boards was that Julius Thomas is running curl routes. and He's running all these drag routes and underneath stuff. They're never using him in up the seam. So, Chris, to your point, even though you're kind of an idiot, you may be right that their coaching might actually be to blame for some of these passing struggles. Let me ask you this. So when we had Nate Hackett as OC, were you complaining about our offensive capabilities? Yes. There you go. That's what they're complaining about in Jacksonville. And over the you got a college coach, a college coordinator, as your offensive coordinator in the pro game. 
And then after, you know, over the last three games, they've only averaged 239 yards. You know what I mean? 239 yards over the last two games. That's passing. Passing yardage. 239. You shouldn't have that with Hearns and Robinson. Yeah, if you have wide receivers, if you have that core of wide receiver talent, you shouldn't have numbers like that. I mean, they have the talent. And they're playing teams Detroit. Detroit's not a defensive juggernaut. No, because Matt Safford had no touchdowns. And Houston, Houston's pass defense has been pretty good. I'll give them that. Houston's defense has been pretty good. Kansas City, Kansas City, I mean, they've been hit or miss, depending on the week that you catch them on. I mean, the week that the Jaguars played Kansas City, they rushed for over 200 yards and still lost the football game. It's just, it's like you're playing these defenses that aren't world beaters, and yet you couldn't make enough of an impact to get a W. And it's, you can't deny the talent of their wide receiver core. So the fact is, is it's like, who do you fault for this? It has to fall on Blake Bortles. I don't know what the issue with him is, but he is not the quarterback that he was last year. I'm telling you, it's the, it's the coaches and their game plan. I'm telling you right now, it's the coaches and their game plan. Well, you, some of you, game plan which, you bring in a offensive head coach and a and like a a former quarterback as OC next year. I'm you're going to see improvement in Blake Border Blake Bortles numbers. I'd like I I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I'd like to see what his his like average first quarter stats are. Because that right off the bat is, is you get to basically see the offensive game plan. And if he's not executing, then maybe you had a, a shit game plan to start with. And you're not wrong. No, because I'm never wrong. That's we've already, bullshit. That, that's bullshit. You might already hit on that. Oh, you're a dickhead. So, but the next thing that comes up on our offensive scouting report is the rushing attack. I mean, I know I spent a lot of time talking about Blake Bortles because he's the engine that runs this. And here's the reason why. You look at the rushing attack from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Overall yardage, the Jaguars are middle of the pack. You know what I mean? They they average 88 yards rushing per game, which isn't, it's not terrible. That brings us directly to our next point. I mean, you're talking about how, you know, the game plan may not, you know, maybe kind of hurting Bortles' production. Well, maybe, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, but the fact is the rushing attack isn't doing him any favors. I know I spent a lot of time talking in this whole, you know, thing about Blake Bortles and his performance because Blake Bortles has been forced to be the engine that runs his team. You know, with any young quarterback, you want to have a good rushing attack. I've broken down their rushing attack. I've looked at the statistics. I've watched some tape. Here's what I see. When it comes to overall yardage, the Jacksonville Jaguars are about middle of the pack in the NFL. 88 yards per game. But they've only got three rushing touchdowns to their credit this season. That, in and of itself, just illustrates that not only do you have an issue with play calling, that you've only three rushing touchdowns for your entire team. Drew is mad about this because their uh, feature back is T.J. Yeldon of Alabama. No, I'm... <laughs> no, That I'm laugh be, means I'm right I'm not being again. a Bama homer. What I'm, being, what I'm looking at is a team that, you know, you average 88 yards per game. Did you get that all on one drive? Like, what happened to your team that you can rush for almost 100 yards a game and at the same time never punch it into the end zone on the ground? 
I mean, according to SportingCharts.com, the Jaguars are 29th in the NFL for runs stuffed for zero or negative yardage at 13.5%. That means one run out of every eight or nine gets stopped for no gain or a loss, which only serves to put their quarterback in a bigger hole. And serves our defensive line. I mean, I told you, we've dealt with injuries. You know, they've dealt with injuries at the position. You know, Chris Ivory, he's missed time. He missed a lot during the beginning of the season. TJ Yeldon now has an ankle injury that he's been trying to play through, and I know he got banged up this past weekend, so he may not be 100%. But, I mean, that's the issue with the offense. They can't run the ball consistently enough to take any pressure off Blake Bortles. And so now they've got all these injuries on the offensive line. You can't run the football for, you know, you're not getting chunk yardage with your running game. So you're putting the pressure on this guy who's already struggling. I only feel like I feel like you're making a bad situation worse at that point. Yeah, it seems that seems about right. The final point I want to make about the Jaguars offense. You'll notice here I don't have anything good to say because that's what happens when you're trying to when you're trying to preview a team that's 2 and 8, they probably don't do a whole lot right. One of the most egregious things that I've seen about their offense is turnovers. When it comes to overall yardage, the Jaguars are about middle of the pack. They're about middle of the pack in the NFL. Okay? Rushing, passing, they're not great. You know, obviously that's what's led to a lot of their losses. But they're 31st in the NFL with 22 turnovers. And they've thrown two pick sixes in, you know, they've thrown pick sixes in back to back games. You have to go all the way back to October 2nd to find a game that they didn't commit at least one turnover. And that game against the Colts is the only game that they didn't turn the ball over. They have a turnover in every single game except for one this season. You're not going to win football games like that. Did they win that game? Yes, they won the game that they didn't turn the ball over. That was a game in London. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, where they came back and they won and they beat the Colts with some late touchdown heroics from Blake Bortles. I don't remember that. It was at a 9.30 start? Yeah, it was a 9.30 a.m. game I know London. why I didn't see that game. I'm sure no one cares. I People do care because I had a lady <laughs> over at the bachelor pad. At the I bachelor don't pad. remember her name That's at all. <laughs> Christ. The fact is, is that this is a team that just cannot hang on to the football. They can't do it. They have no ability to stop it. I mean, in the past three games, they have seven turnovers. You can't win football games when you're turning the ball over at that rate. And you can see the impact that it's having on the record. And then our defensive scouting report. Okay. I, I, I didn't have time to pick them apart, but here's what I want to tell you guys. I just looked at the statistics. I didn't watch a whole lot of film on their defense, but statistics can lie to you. Now, I know that that seems disingenuous because I've just rattled off a ton of statistics. I probably choke you guys to death with them. But here's what I'm going to say. Statistically, this, the Jacksonville Jaguars defense seems to be one of the best in the NFL. Rex Ryan talked about it in his uh, conferences this week. You know, talked about how, oh, you know, uh, this this defense, you know, they're on paper, they're the seventh best defense in football, and on paper they do this, and on paper they do that. Well, I'm not going to try to take anything away from them. I mean, they've, they've had a massive influx of talent over the last two seasons on the defensive side of the ball. 
They drafted a defensive end last year who tore his ACL in the first practice, Dante Fowler Jr. He's a very good pass rusher. In college, he was one of the best. That's why he was a top pick in the draft. You know, So you've got a guy like that. You've got Jalen Ramsey. Um, who's the linebacker that they brought? In? Miles Jack yeah. from UCLA. Miles Jack. They brought in. You know, they they have uh, Telvin Smith, who's a very good player on defense. Didn't they sign somebody else this offseason? A uh, defensive lineman, uh, Senderic Marks, I believe. They Doesn't have, ring a bell. They have Senderic Marks. They have Tyson Alualu. They have a lot of talent on that defense. They've signed Prince Mukamara. There you go. Cornerback. Former first-round pick. Former first-round pick of the uh, New York Giants. Now, you you just named all these former first-round picks that are on the Jags defense, and you think Gus Bradley would be able to well, get all of that together well, for a stud defense. But so here's what I'm seeing, and this is why I have a hard time buying them as a good defense when you look at the statistics. okay? Because if you look at that one number that says, hey, overall defense, and you see them in the seventh spot, you say, okay, their defense must be pretty good. All right. Well, according to sportingcharts.com, you know, folks, anyone who listens to the show knows that I've, I've just got a boner for this website. I absolutely love it. I think it's one of the most complete statistical breakdowns of a team. Here's what I see. I see a team that, you know, in some of the major defensive categories – struggles absolutely struggles and yet i think that the nfl's overall metrics are weighted towards a certain handful of those statistics here's here's a couple that put them at the top of the league yards per pass allowed okay yards per pass allowed the jacksonville jaguars are the number one defense for yards per pass allowed so that doesn't bode well for us this Sunday because Tyrod Ty Taylor doesn't throw down the middle of the field. But we don't throw the ball anyway. Or throw the ball to a receiver who's going to be open. Yards per rush. They're 10th in the NFL with 3.9 yards per carry allowed. Rushing touchdowns allowed. They're 10th. They've had 14 touchdowns rushing scored on them. So now you look at that and, and then yards allowed. Overall yards allowed, they're the seventh best defense. So you look at that and you say, okay, well, this team must be a defensive juggernaut, right? The fact is that they have a lot of young talent. Okay, they have a lot of young talent, but these are the statistics, Chris. I'm, I'm quoting you statistics about the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're in the top 10 for rushing touchdown allowed, yards per rush. They're number one yards per pass, and yards allowed, they're in the top 10. So they must be a great defense, right? I'm saying they've got three solid rookies. And I'm I'm including Fowler Jr. as a rookie because he ripped his ACL last year. Fowler, Jalen Ramsey, and Miles Jack. Yeah, and those are all talented football players. They're, me, they're young. But let me hit you with some more statistics. Once you see, so I'm getting the, drunk on stats. So when I see that, and I see the, and I can see why the NFL looks at those statistics and says, "Okay, this is a top defense." Let's look at some statistics that actually matter. Points per game against. How many points have you? Do you give up per game? They probably give up. I, I'm going to have to say like 24, 26, 26 and a half points per game. Cool. So you're saying my final score should be 
27-24 Buffalo. You're drinking Seagrams because they covered seven. What I want to know is how the hell are you the seventh best defense in football if you allow other teams to score 26.5 points per game? I mean, they're ranking in that category. When you talk about points per game, they're the 25th team in the league. And then on the offensive side of the ball, they scored 19 points per game. That right there tells you the story of why they're two and why they're two and eight. And then you look at overall yards gained by their offense, thirty-three seventy-five. So yeah, the thirty-two hundred and twenty-six yards that their offense is give, that their defense has given up is good for seventh. But then you put that into correlation with what their offense is doing: twenty-second in overall yards, thirty-first in turnovers. They don't have opportunities to give up yards because they're turning the ball over at a record pace. They are going to set the record. I'm going to say it now. Most turnovers in an NFL season. Are you saying that with the Seagram's bet? (laughs) Oh, no. You and I are going to. That's a triple shot of gin with no ice. Okay. That doesn't sound. You, I, I I'm like I'm, ooh, I'm I'm shaking in my <laughs> shoes over here that right. I'm not wearing. I'm not scared of gin not on ice. Okay, so the what fact, I'm scared of is you punting a football. So the fact is, is that they, there's a lot of statistics that you can throw out there to say that this is a good defense, but there's a reason that they're losing these football games. It's that their offense is turning the ball over, and because of their offensive ineptitude. On a short field, their defense can't keep teams out of the end zone. Sounds like a Nate and Hackett ul- problem. And ultimately, that's what is the difference between winning and losing. You can tell me that you are the seventh best defense in the NFL. And that's great. That's wonderful. But I'll say this. If you are one of the worst scoring defenses in football, you can't be ranked number seven. You can't. It's not possible to be ranked number seven, but then give up 26 and a half points per game. That's where I think statistics lie, and that's why I'm not afraid of this defense this weekend. And so that brings us to our keys to victory. What do I think the Buffalo Bills have to do in order to ice this game this weekend and walk out of here with another W? Start another small win streak here. First off, it starts with short fields and long fields. Okay, Field position, I think, is going to be a huge factor in this game. Like I was just talking about, there's a reason that they've given up such you know, so few yards and still given up so many points. How many times do I have to say it? It's Nate Hackett and Doug Marone. It comes down to their offense giving them short, giving opposing teams short fields to work with. And to sum up what Drew just said, Nate Hackett and Doug Marone. <laughs> the thing is, we have a much higher probability of scoring when we're working on a short field. We're going to be very thin at wide receiver. Okay, So at this point, long, sustained drives are going to be difficult. It's going to be paramount for the Buffalo Bills to try to get some to, to force short fields that we can run a lot, run a lot, throw a lot of passes out of the back, you know, to running backs out of the backfield. They're going to have to get creative this game, considering how shorthanded we are on offense. I mean, it's it's going to be rough, but I think we can get it done if we can keep the fields within 60 to 70 yards. I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now. You ask us to go 80 or 90. I don't see those drives ending in points. I'll tell you this right now, because. Bob Woods is probably not playing. Is he already ruled out? He's not ruled out, but he's not he, playing. He's not playing. Okay. I, when You've referenced it in previous shows. A-Lynn getting too cute. Yeah, don't get I, cute, I, A-Lynn. I do not want to see him move away from the run game. Nope. Running game just, is going to be Just keep hammering at the run game, even if it 
even if it's taking 20 plays for that run game to get going. Don't shy away from it. That's well, a bread and butter. Well, and that leads right into my next point. Rushing attack and resting shady. Okay? I talked about it earlier and about what I want to see out of our offense going forward. Statistically speaking, their rush defense seems solid, but they haven't faced a defense that uh, an offense that runs the ball the way the Buffalo Bills do. Okay, last week the Detroit Lions rushed for less than 40 yards. Okay? You're, you're, we aren't the Detroit Lions. Theo Riddick isn't our running back. We have a stable of running backs that can run. We've got an offensive line that can run block. And we have a coordinator who knows how to get these guys out. Sorry. Just breaking in, breaking news, because I think hockey's better than the NFL. Las Vegas, Golden Knights. That's, that's the dumbest fucking name for a hockey team. So the fact is, is that I think that that is where we're going to make hay on Sunday. I mean, even though the stats would say something different, statistically speaking, we would be running straight into a team that holds all their all these teams to you know four yards a carry when really our team averages five and a half. I'll tell you this. I expect us to roll our running backs in waves. And I think if we're going to win this, you come with a heavy dose of Gillisley early. Early on in the game, you punch these guys in the mouth with a, a downhill runner like Gillisley, who he's not flashy, but he'll just keep coming and he'll keep coming. And he'll keep, why do you think he broke his name? Touchdown Mike. The well, Cowboys game. Yes. He tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and finally he cracked one off. Okay, well, I'm, I'm saying you have to respect that. Bills fans keep pushing touchdown Mike for the ball early because you're going to go at one player, one player only, and it's Paul Puzlesny. Well, yeah, Paul <laughs> Puzlesny, he's the king of tackling guys six yards downfield. That's that's what he's done for his career. But the fact is, is that if we can get Gillisley and Williams worked in early, keep LaShawn McCoy healthy for when we've got this defense just on the ropes. You know, this is like a Maha- this is like Muhammad Ali. You just rope-a-dope them. You run, you run, you run. You don't throw the ball because that's not our strength anymore. Not with our depleted wide receiver core. And not with the, the way that he's been playing and not the fact that they have a they do have a talented secondary. They really do. You know, the Jaguars, they brought in, again, we were talking about Prince Mukamara, Jalen Ramsey. They've got guys, they only have three picks on the year, which is hilarious because that's fewer than Marshawn. Uh, I want to say they have five turnovers total as a defense. Fewest in the NFL. Five total turnovers. I mean, we have players on our team who have almost as many. The fact is, is that you're talking about a team that, yeah, their secondary plays well. Okay, let's go out there and punch them in the mouth because they've never faced a rushing attack like this. And we're going to grind them. But if you can grind them early and get them tired, it's going to open up lanes late in the, you know, you bring out LaShawn McCoy in the second half. And then really pour it on with Lashawn McCoy in the third quarter, in the third and fourth quarters. I don't see a way for their defense to keep you know keep their offense afloat in this game, and I see that we run away with this thing. I don't. I, I say it's going to be less than seven. Remember, less than Seagram's seven. seven point spread. I'm telling you, if they're all, if our offensive coordinators are smart with the rushing attack, we can just grind this game out, wear them down, and eventually just club them into submission with their running game. And then the final key to the game is going to be no broken coverages. Okay? Defense, get on your communication. No broken coverages on the back end. It's going to be tough. I mean, without Robert Blanton, you're talking about a guy who's been in the mix. He's been taking snaps. He's been, we cut 
we <laughs> we cut Williams. So we're kind of shorthanded right now on safeties. We've talked about how the Jaguars have struggled in the passing game all night, but they still have an extremely talented group of wide receivers, and it would be very billsy of us to let them finally turn out you know, all of these missed opportunities that they've had over the course of the last six, seven weeks to turn that into a huge passing day because we don't have discipline on the back end of our defense. Our coverages are going to have to be tight. Okay, We're going to need a lot. I'm expecting a lot of press coverage in order to keep them in the box, to keep them from being able to really get away, and from them being able to run free through our secondary. I think that that would play to the strength of our defense. I don't know if I trust Darby on Hearns, though. That's going to be a matchup. I almost feel like Darby would be better served sitting in on a wide receiver like Allen Robinson and maybe putting Gilmore on a guy like Hearns who's a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical, who can kind of get in there and mix it up a little bit more. But at the end of the day, we have to use our cornerbacks now to protect our safeties, and that's going to be the matchup of the game I'm going to be watching because if they've shown that they'll throw it deep. You know, they, they, they take what they took over the last three games, 27 deep passes, and yet they've only connected on nine of them. But God help us if they get loose in our secondary. That's the thing. You're, you don't, and they have to be coming into this game knowing that we're kind of hamstrung with injuries coming into this game. So it's going to be tough for us to, you know, because they're going to they're going to pick on. I expect them if I'm a, if I'm their offensive coordinator, I'm going to take shots deep, you know, early and often at the Buffalo Bills, knowing how depleted their safety depth is. We're going to have Sergio Brown possibly starting back there for us. Not Duke Williams. Not Duke Williams. So it comes down to picks. What do you got, Chris? You've been spouting your mouth off all friggin' night about what you think and about what you think we're gonna we're gonna the, the Jaguars are gonna cover. What what do you call it? They're, we made the bet earlier. If you fast forwarded, like most people do. Seven-point spread for Seagrams. Uh, I, th- I, still th- I still think the Bills are going to win this football game. Uh, Bills are going to win 27-21. 27-21? And you see us missing the spread by one point? Yeah. Oh! I think our, def- I think our defense is good enough up front that they're not going to find any running room. I mean, look at... We, ho- we held Seattle to 33 yards. We didn't let... We, nobody runs the ball on us. Nobody. Not even the Jets in week two? Oh, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) The fact is is that the last couple weeks, we've played solid defense. I trust that we will hold down their rushing attack and make Bortles throw. And that's the other, that's the final part of this whole game is making Bortles throw. Because if you can do that, they've proven week after week after week that that guy cannot stay clean. He can't stay clean as a passer. He has no ability to stop turning over the football. Ultimately, if we can force him to become the motor that runs that runs that vehicle, it's eventually going to break down. I see the Buffalo Bills coming out of this game with a twenty-four to twenty-four thirteen win. Twenty-four yeah. thirteen. I'm calling eleven points. That's not that's not happening. And the fact is, is that the fact is that Jaguars are covering the spread and. Again, sorry, folks. This is Tuesday, 506sports.com tomorrow. I don't know who's calling the game. 
Hopefully it's Spiro Ditas. But Chris will be more than happy to find out and tweet it out for all of you who are listening. Where are we on Twitter? We are at Rockpile Report on Twitter. You can hit us up on Gmail, rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. Where are we on Instagram? Instagram, The Rockpile Report. And Facebook? The Rockpile Report. Facebook.com slash The Rockpile Report. Give out the URL correctly. <laughs> uh, folks, this is... This has been fun. You know, it's the first night in a long time that I felt free to just drink a couple beers, relax, talk some Bills football. Hopefully you all enjoyed it because God knows I did. What is, okay, assuming we win, what's the best way to celebrate Sunday night? I don't know, Chris. Why don't you tell me? The Grey Cup. The Grey Cup. Oh, there's, we were, we there's did, Canadian we, football going on. We were supposed to have uh, Rico on tonight, but we couldn't work that out due to his work schedule for the CFL. His Ottawa Red Blacks are in the Grey Cup. And I haven't watched CFL football since August. Nah, I've been watching I've been watching Grey Cup. Okay. Well, then Grey Cup. I've been watching Canadian football because it's football. And it's usually on late at night. Like you get the Saskatchewan game late or on BC and two or three. It's awesome. Guys, I've had a lot of fun. For the first time in a while, I feel energized. I feel like I'm back into this. I appreciate you all listening. So get at us on social media. If you guys have anything, uh, any opinions, anything you want us to talk about, feel free to shoot them over to us and uh, we'll read them on the air. We got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Reed Ferguson's been silently kind of skulking around the kitchen here. And this has been the Rockpile Report. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.